Hi, everyone. It's Melinda Garvey with the See It To Be It podcast. This week, we have another great interview with an incredible role model. Stay tuned. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the See It To Be It podcast. I'm your host, Melinda Garvey. And so excited to be here with you today with yet another amazing female role model. Today, we have a woman by the name of Forum Brown. She's coming to us right now from London, England. We're just outside of London. And we are super excited to be talking all things STEM with her, which is such a hot topic right now. So excited to jump into it with you and welcome to the show, Forum. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me around. Absolutely. Well, first, I like to go way back. What was your big dream when you were growing up? Did you want to be a ballerina or a movie star or were you always on the engineer path? Drama queen, movie. <laughs> oh my God. That's what I always wanted to be. You know, I used to dream of, I have been born and brought up in India and I'm a huge fan of Bollywood. And there was like that secret little desire inside me to be a glamorous Bollywood actress. <laughs> So that was all what I wanted to be when I was growing up. And I know at that point, I think a lot of it culturally, I had two options, either to be a doctor or an engineer. Was that kind of a pressure from a young age? Go here or here? I think it was a unconscious pressure in a way, because the view that I had in my head is, for me to be successful, for me to be in the corporate world, or for me to be in a position where I could sustain myself financially, I would either have to be an engineer or a doctor. Somewhere, it was just drilled in my head. And I think it's, to a certain extent, it's my culture, it's my upbringing. And even now, I cannot memorize. And I had this thing that doctors you know, medicines, you have to memorize everything. Whereas maths is problem solving. So for me, my option was very clear. It was engineering throughout. I can solve a problem, but I can't memorize. <laughs> right. <laughs> Interesting. And so what about role models as a young woman? Were there a lot of women that were doctors and engineers that you saw as role models? Or did you feel like you sort of had to forge your own path? I felt I had to forge my own path, particularly within engineering. I would see a few women as doctors, actually quite a few women as doctors, but very few in engineering. The most I'd kind of come close to was professors at university or college who I knew then worked in different industries, but I wasn't exposed to a corporate world because my dad was a businessman. So it was very different that there wasn't anybody to look up to and say, oh, I actually want to be that. Yes, which is tough when you have to get out there and forge your own way. And I would imagine influences what you do now, you know, putting yourself out there as a role model, which is amazing. Thank you. Thank you. And that's one of the things that that desire was always there, you know, especially after I started my career, it was like, right, I didn't have this. And I want to, you know, I've learned so much over these years. I want to put it out there for people. I want to share what I've learned so that they can just expedite their process, hopefully. Yes. Interesting. So tell us about your journey into corporate America as an engineer. Did you ever come to the U.S. to work? Where'd you land and what companies? I came to UK when I was 17 to do my degree. And it was strange because I'd gone from never even having a sleepover with my friends to being in this country all by myself learning. 
I knew I was going to do engineering. And I knew my vision was to do computer science because I knew that was the buzzword at that time. And I knew it's going to be the thing that's going to be in demand. And I started studying at Sheffield University in UK. And whilst I was studying, I started exploring different, you know, organizations and what they do. And that's when really the knowledge started being absorbed in my head that, oh, I can work for cars. I can work on planes. I can work in the farm pharmaceutical sector. Oh my God, this is so big, right? I can pick and choose wherever I want to go. And that's where it started getting really, really interesting. And I landed my first job. It was actually for AstraZeneca, the pharmaceutical company making our COVID vaccines right now. That's right. One year over there as a systems engineer, all building management systems. That's where I met my husband as well. And then went back to university and started my first full position at Rolls-Royce working on civil engines. So I've worked there for just over 11 years. I worked my way up the ladder and then moved on to Bombardier Transportation, uh, working on UK trains. And now I work for Alstom. So in all of these roles, right, back then when you started and today, what's the makeup of women to men? I mean, did you feel like as time went on, there were more and more women or feeling like you're sort of that lone wolf out there? No, I feel that there is more women in engineering. I find that from the time I started to where we are right now, organizations are creating this awareness. They themselves are aware and they are creating that awareness that we do need gender balance within the companies. So I see a shift between the two from when I started to where we are right now. And it's great to see the support and the culture that everybody is embracing out there. Yes, very much so. Well, I'd love to kind of dive into that a little bit more because I know that you're doing some work around recruitment and really kind of have this commitment to work with corporations to recruit more women and actually to design recruiting programs. So what does that look like when you work with companies and you say, okay, you want to recruit women? Do you go in there and say, okay, throw out this old manual you have? What do you do to actually specifically recruit women? So for me, the, my model is very, very simple. I'll, I'll tell you a little bit of a history behind it. You know, like I was telling you before, there was this huge desire to do something for other women. And in 2019, I was diagnosed with breast cancer. Up until then, I've wanted to do it, but I've been too busy having a career, having a family and a career. And once I've been through my treatments, the perspective to life changed. And that's when I decided, right, I'm going to do what I really want to do. And that's where it's all started. The idea is to help organizations increase their women representation within engineering at the executive level. And the model is very simple. You have a requirement to hire someone in a particular position. And I find a world-class woman candidate for that position. The beauty is in its simplicity for me. We know that you need the representation. I'm here to help you enable that representation within your organization. And for me, I'm a chartered engineer myself. I have been in engineering for over 15 years. I know exactly what is needed. It's a lot easier for me to find the right caliber of the person to do a particular job. 
And that's where I essentially come in. I just work with organizations. We identify really what is it that they need? What is their goal? What are they trying to achieve? Because sometimes depending on the size of a job, somebody with seven to 10 years experience would be suitable enough at an executive level because I know what they're trying to achieve. Whereas if you don't have that engineering knowledge, you wouldn't be in a position to judge that. So that's where I kind of work with them to try and increase the representation, but also help them sustain the women within engineering. Because without having that culture of being inclusive and powering the women, you probably will get the women in, but not sustain them. That's how I work with different organizations. Yes. And I think that that is absolutely a big challenge, Nina, not only for women, but for all diverse individuals and companies is that, you know, there's been so much focus on recruiting because of course, companies in tech and engineering are sort of desperate for people, right? There's a people shortage. And so they've really poured into how do we really hone in on our recruitment? But then you get in there and you kind of look around and go, well, this is not a culture for me. This is not an inclusive culture. So what kinds of things do you talk to companies about so that once you get somebody in there that they stay because they feel like they're included? You know, what are some of the key elements of that inclusive culture? For me, I focus on five key elements. One is flexibility. So you've got to enable, for me, women, or as a matter of fact, anybody, you've got to empower them with flexibility. They are there at a particular position to do a particular role, allow them to manage their own time. There shouldn't be any hard requirement that you have to be in the office at these hours, because it sounds like Who would do that? But it does happen. I've had that happen to me, even in the COVID situation, somebody had approached me for a job. And one of the requirements was you have to be in the office nine to five. And I actually said, we're in COVID. We've been working from home. It does happen. It sounds like it's very basic, but it's not. So flexibility is very, very key, especially in the world now where we co-parent, where we We've got moms and dads taking equal responsibilities. That flexibility really gives it that edge that you need to be inclusive enough. And something else that I really talk about is supporting women through career progression. So I have always found, and I have done this myself in the past, where unless you tick every single box on a job, you don't apply for it. So a lot of the times with multinational organizations, you see that the job is out there. And you're waiting for somebody to apply for it. But actually within an organization, you know, you've got women in engineering positions. Why are you waiting for them to apply for that position? Why don't you go and be proactive and just talk to them about it? Because they might be thinking they don't take every single box, but they might have potential. So, you know, that's another way of having a change, which might help you sustain those women within your organization. Something else that I do believe in is also trust. So just creating that environment where you are trusting one another to do that job. I find a lot of the times that that lack of trust results into micromanagement, which then kind of puts people off. And then you get into this whole cycle of people being unhappy, leaving productivity, so on and so forth. So that's another element where it's important to have the trust to enable them to do what they want. And empowerment, I feel that is so, so key. 
if you are getting women into your organization or as a matter of fact any person into your organization allow them empower them to do what they are best at rather than holding them back to your processes procedures or whatever it might be that i think is the key to have that creativity flexibility the innovation that your company needs because that's going to allow the change to happen otherwise you're getting people in you're getting them to follow exactly what everybody's doing and it just won't work in my view and the final point for me is to listen 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 to what your people are trying to tell you seek feedback but then make sure that you are addressing the points that they are raising a lot of the times i've experienced you would go collect feedback from your employees but not do anything about it surveys yes that are so famous employees get so mad about them is because they don't do anything mandatory to fill out right but then they don't do anything exactly it sounds like oh it's very obvious but it's just these simple little obvious things that you make a change and you will see a massive shift Excellent. Okay, so let's talk about women and the pandemic. And of course, we know the statistics are showing that women are leaving the workforce in droves. I mean, what one out of every 4, that's droves, especially considering how long it's taken us to get this far. So, let's kind of talk about the why behind that. Why are women leaving the workforce? And then what are we going to do about it? And how do we sort of address that? So for me why are women leaving the workforce if i just look at my personal example because i don't know about the rest i feel i am a mom with two young children and the whole covid pandemic has kind of created a toll in a way with respect to looking after children homeschooling and the pressure that goes along with a very busy job let alone trying to grow in your career at that side so i think that is probably quite a challenge that could really create a lot of stress and anxiety it's difficult to see on teams or zoom and you know i feel that that lack of empathy possibly lack of trust maybe i don't know but that could be a potential factor in women leaving positions organizations but at the same time i do feel that you know for me covid has really opened everyone's eyes to a very flexible approach of working i mean we're all teams we're all talking to one another far more than what we would do probably in an office environment and you can manage your own time because the walk from your bedroom to the office is not that far away <laughs> it's not commuting through downtown london right <laughs> that long hours is not there you can balance your time with children or with your personal activities whether it's cycling gym or fitness whatever it is and you can shift your working hours accordingly another thing i've also found during this whole situation is long hours of working because you don't have the commutes there is no switch off you could just keep working you think oh yeah it's just that other email oh it's just that other request let me just get on to it and perhaps that over time builds up which then causes burnout in my view which would then potentially result in women people leaving organizations it is interesting because i think what we found is is that as much as we 
talk about sort of equal co-parenting and even, you know, caring for elderly parents, especially I think it's become, you know, blatantly obvious that women still carry the majority of that burden and they're being crushed under that, right? And so something's got to give and it's not your kids who are going to give. It's not your parents who are going to give. It's your job. How do we sort of systemically help solve that? The interesting part of this is what does the future look like? You know, if we've got one out of every four women leaving the workforce, what kind of a setback is that going to be for women? I genuinely believe that it is a little bit of a setback, but I feel that with the amount of awareness that we have got, and hopefully with this ray of light, with the whole vaccines and everything going back to whatever the new normal is going to be, I feel that there is a very high hope that we will get back onto the wheel of having women into the organizations because of the amount of awareness that is there with organizations. Since I've started my business, my brand awareness has increased. The amount of organizations I've been working with to support women in engineering, it really gives me the hope that, you know what, this is a little hiccup that we are having. We need to help organizations go through this hiccup. But equally as women, we need to remind ourselves that we can't do everything. So, you know, for example, I know between me and my husband, it's like, I know how to do it. I know I will do it this way. And he's definitely going to get that wrong. So the whole idea is, okay, I'll just do it. The thing is there that just says, I want to do it because I can do it the right way. I know how to do it. This whole COVID has taught quite a lot where it's like, it doesn't matter. He's got a different style of doing it. It's not the end of the world. It's just different. And the children are still there. They're still, you know, enjoying. They're happy. In fact, they're happier because dad has given them lots of sweets and had a great time. You know, as a mom getting around that, that it doesn't matter. We're doing it. We're doing it differently. We're doing it together. So I think it's a bit of both. I think as women, we need to allow that to happen for our own sanity to a certain extent. And with organizations, with this drive that they've got, with the amount of support and success I've got within this recruitment, I don't see an issue with it. I think that you're right about just sort of adjusting the mindset. You know, we have to decide, you know, okay, we can do all of this. And you're right. Something's got to give a little bit. So kind of letting go of that perfection and the need to feel like you're all things to all people, right? (laughs) Exactly. I mean, it's hard. It's so hard. But I think once you kind of have that little shift in the mindset slowly, it definitely helps because then it allows you to not just have the family, but also a career. Yes. I have a prediction that as we're coming out of this in the next year or two, you're probably going to be very, very busy in your recruitment because recruiting all these women back, right? Because there will be a lot of holes and hopefully companies will actually double down and really entice women to come back. And of course, most companies, you're coming back to a much more flexible workplace because companies, of course, realize when it positively affects the bottom line, when they're like, oh, wow, people are actually working harder and longer and are more efficient when they're not in the office. Who knew, you know? (laughs) So sure, we can continue doing that, right? It's a win-win for everybody, but hopefully that will sort of double down. You know, one of the things you talk about, the pay gap, 
in STEM, there is quite a significant pay gap. I also want to talk specifically about, you know, not only just, you know, women in this pay gap and women in sort of this recruitment, but also women of color. Are there specific strategies for women of color, you know, women who are even further behind in these areas to really bring them into this fold? I'll tell you my strategy because this is something that I have learned over the years. There is a pay gap. And again, just like the numbers, there is far more awareness than what it was 15 years ago. 15 years ago, I know when I started, I was just grateful to have a job in the industry that I love. Whereas now it's the awareness. What am I actually worth? What I deserve? Establishing that and getting through in your own mindset that actually this is what I want to aim for. This is what I have got. This is what I know I can achieve and I am going to stick to that and I am going to negotiate that. That for me is the key right now because with everything that's happening within organizations, again, they're trying their hardest to decrease this gap, but we all know what the reality is right now. And for me, as a woman of color, the best way of addressing that is knowing what you're worth. What is it that you want for your lifestyle? What is it that is going to make you happy? And then getting that. Absolutely. Well, I think that a lot of the transparency around what women should be making and really understanding so they know how to negotiate, you know, really teaching those skills. Women, they have no problem asking for something on behalf of someone else. If you want somebody to get something for you, go ask a woman to do it and to negotiate on your behalf. But negotiating for ourselves is a lot harder. So it's like, how do we take that same mindset and really understand? I find that we will convince ourselves of everything that's going to happen if we negotiate. And because of the fear, we're not going to negotiate because we'll just settle with what we've got. And I think that's where we need to change. Why can't we negotiate that? What is the harm in just saying, no, I'm not going to do it unless I get this? Right. What is the worst that's going to happen? You've still got what you've got right now. Very true. Very true. So we're sort of closing up here. I'd love to just know, is there a piece of advice that you have gotten sometime in, you know, in your lifetime or one that you love to give out that's sort of that go-to piece of advice? For me, there's this one thing that I believe in and I have always been a believer of is life is exactly how you want it to be. Again, one of the simple things, but it's embedded in my head and I wish I could get more people to think that way because if you want something, then you've got to go get it. If you want to sit in a corner and be sad about something, your life is going to be exactly how you wanted it to be. I always say life is a self-fulfilling prophecy. There you go. Exactly. (laughs) Just different words, but it means the same. That's right. And I think it is. It's so important, you know, and I think it's important. You know, we all need to be reminded of that all the time. We can have our moments, but then we've got to really figure out what we want. And I think that the power in bringing women together, you know, and in community that are helping encourage each other is so incredibly important to help overcome that. Exactly. And that's the whole idea behind this initiative, the the community that kind of gets built across this is we are like-minded women who've been through probably similar things, 
who can share our experiences because the more we share, the more we're going to grow. We don't have to be of the mindset that because we had to forge our way through, others have to do the same. So that's the whole idea behind this. And I always say there is nothing that a tub of chocolate Ben and Jerry's can't fix. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> a bottle of wine or a bottle of champagne and you've nailed it. <laughs> there you go. So true. And as we're talking a little bit about the future, I know you have daughters and part of your passion for working on behalf of women is so that they have a different reality and an even better. So what do you see for the future? Do you feel like when your daughters get into the workforce that it will be very different from what it is now? I would really hope that is the case. One of the things that I encourage my daughters is empowering them doing what they want to do. Like, you know, for me, it was conscious, unconscious bias was there that I have to do engineering. But for them, it's like, right, okay, what is it that you love? And how can you have a career doing what you love? I think that for me is key, hopefully within the STEM area, because you look at music, you look at films, everything and anything and everything needs that STEM within it. That's right. So it's how you kind of make it for them. And I do feel that with initiatives like mine that's ongoing, future is going to be a better place for them. (laughs) Excellent. Well, tell our listeners where they can find you and follow you on social if they want to find more about what you do. I'm on all social media platforms. So LinkedIn, Facebook, Instagram. You can find me with my name, Forum Brown, F-O-R-A-M, Brown, B-R-O-W-N. And you shall see me on all those social media platforms. Excellent. Well, thank you for all you do for women and for being such a wonderful role model. And we will certainly be watching what you do next. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the See It To Be It podcast. For more female empowerment, inspiration, and advice, subscribe to our free weekly newsletter featuring a new woman to watch each week. And check out over a thousand more featured women at onthedotwoman.com. Know someone we need to feature? Reach out at On The Dot Woman on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.